The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello, welcome to Very Loose Women Revamped on Resonance 104.4 FM. You are listening to the Jam News of the World. At the time, they wouldn't have known that newspaper was moribund. So, um, if you were listening two weeks ago, you would know that we were joined by our special guest, James Key, who told us all about a piece of research he was working on on women in the media. Um, That piece of research was for the BBC, and he was looking at how women were both underrepresented as presenters and experts who were given less airtime than their their male counterparts, but he was also talking about kind of the perception of women generally um, in the media and women's media specifically. Now... We were inspired by a talk we went to, which featured very successful, well-known, and actually, in some cases, quite famous female journalists and programme makers um, from the BBC and also the broadsheet press. And this week, we decided to look at it from a slightly different angle. And we wanted to look at the people kind of behind the scenes, um, focusing on the media theme, but also the kind of underground scene as well, and people who want to do something a little bit different, and look at the next generations of journalists channeling their kind of creative drive outside the mainstream and we thought it'd be really interesting to look at zines in particular so we do have a special guest everyone welcome phoebe hi Hi, phoebe Phoebe. quick question zine or zine often discussed (laughs) on the show just clarify it for us if you would well i personally go for the zine but um Mm -hmm. but i have heard many people pronounce it otherwise so and they're (laughs) wrong interpretation yeah (laughs) people who don't know what they're talking about or actually on in the in the zine scene really because it rhymes with scene i have no idea but uh, i yeah personally pronounce it i mean maybe some people pronounce the word magazine that's something to think about that is definitely (laughs) um so maybe just before we kind of launch straight into the topic phoebe obviously it's fantastic to have you on this week's show do you want to tell us just really briefly a little bit about what you're kind of doing in the zine zine world yeah absolutely um it's probably helpful to maybe describe what a zine is first because yeah absolutely um it's a question that many people ask me and I then talk at them for 15 minutes, but I will spay that. <laughs> so yeah, a zine is basically, uh, in my understanding at least, it's a lo-fi, self-published pamphlet, basically. And uh, the emphasis is on a kind of homemade aesthetic, so um, which will be photocopied many times or as many as you like. But usually the print runs pretty low, say under 100, and doesn't feature advertising. And... Yeah, it can basically be what you make it, but um, but definitely the homemade aesthetic is probably the is, kind of... Do you see that as a constraint? Because like what started me is that you could be using, for example, clip art, and I noticed that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that you don't. Clip art. Ooh, maybe I should be using clip art, yeah. Um, but no, but you've gone for a sort of pre-internet, or even pre... 
I don't know, ICT, um, <laughs> aesthetic. Um, and obviously that's a conscious choice because you could do it all on a Google Doc or something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, did you see that as a constraint? And do you sort of do you enjoy the cutting out element of it? And is that is that integral to zinedom? For, for my zine making, it's definitely... Um, integral, yeah. I think because the zine was kind of inspired or provoked by how annoyed really I was by by women's magazines in general, I suppose the, both the content and the format itself is a reaction against that kind of glossiness and superficiality. So I think me and the zine team in general have really enjoyed doing lots of collaging and cutting and pasting, kind of using an ancient typewriter it's a bit pretentious, but, um, but but really enjoyable. But yeah, it's also quite calming. You feel almost like a small child, just cutting, cutting. and sticking. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and drawing and <laughs> photocopying. Exactly. Yeah. There is a charm in that, but it's still got a Twitter handle on the back. So there's a sort of a technology meets sort of I don't know cutting and sticking. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to introduce Undina to the to the modern age, and I'm I'm not very um, tech, so I kind of start off with the Twitter handle with the actual intention, which is at Undina underscore 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 Zine. There you go for our listeners. Follow follow us. It's an interesting dynamic actually between the homemade aspect of zines and the internet age, because increasingly there are lots of e-zines, and I think it would be really nice to kind of get it all online, and that that's definitely an intention for the future. Um, we were talking about starting a zine, maybe a very loose women's zine. I mean, when I say we were talking, I mean like five minutes ago in the pub. <laughs> great idea. Um, so have you got any tips and can you tell us about how you started and any, any advice you could give us? Yeah, I mean, I think my main advice as a relative zine novice myself would be just to start, go for it, because I basically sat on this idea for about two years being like, I don't even know anything about zines. I'm not like cool enough to be in the zine scene. And actually, it's just like cutting out pieces of paper and and collaging and stuff. So I think every zine I've seen is um, is very independent and kind of different. So you get different sizes and different ways that people have put it together. Some people just handwrite everything on it. I like to like typewrite out the poems and the editorial, but um, but I'm still printing computer printing quite a lot of the text as well. I just say, go for it and, and see what happens. It's basically a, a massive experiment, the whole thing. Maybe kind of going back to the very beginning, when we were in the pub early, you told us quite an interesting story about where your name for the zine comes from. Yeah, good old, good old Undina. That harks back to my, my German station. Um, so Undina, in short, is a very ancient figure, maybe 800 years old, and is Ondine from the French, actually the figure that inspired the Little Mermaid. So this kind of silent, watery, nymph-like figure, a kind of lure to the male sex, but forever the object in in retellings of the story. I came across it because I studied German and I discovered the works of Ingeborg Bachmann, an excellent feminist Austrian writer who I really recommend, who for the first time in 800 years of Undina being this creature gave her a voice. So suddenly she was the subject, the eye of the story, and delivers a kind of 10-page rant against mankind, man, patriarchy, and the patriarchality, if that's a word, of, of language. Obviously not all of that goes into the zine itself, but I thought she was an interesting feminist kind of literary figure. So it's got a feminist starting point, but actually looking at the zine, like it, it hasn't got an overtly feminist sort of agenda. Yeah, exactly. And that was quite a conscious choice, because I think when my friend and I conceived the idea in a 
in a pub in Edinburgh yeah. back in 2012. <laughs> um, we we were thinking about alternatives to kind of current women's magazines, and so were thinking about making it just for a female audience. But then I thought, in fact, that is one of the the problems of gender inequality that there are these very kind of divisive camps, men and women. I want men to be able to to read this and write it without it being kind of in your face feministy. So I think it's more of a kind of watery undercurrent um, is, <laughs> <laughs> is what, we're, what we're going for. I think that's an issue yeah. that a lot of feminist magazines are having at the moment, that they are they do have this feminist agenda that they're pushing and it does alienate a lot of male readers. And I know the Vagenda was having issues like that. With an article that we were talking about earlier, so Jermaine Greer mm. picked up um, that it was offensive, probably less offensive than, say, Cosmopolitan is to most people, um, but still offensive in a different way. Um, so maybe that was a way for you to navigate that. Absolutely. That Vagenda, in fact, was very much in in my mind when I kind of made that choice because I, I really enjoy Vagenda and it's brilliant. And it, in a way, it works very well because it's such a specific targeted audience. Whereas I think my zine, whilst, whilst I like it, it's not overtly feminist at all. I'm kind of glad it's that way that it can hopefully reach both sexes, all sexes. I was just wondering how you got submissions for your zines and if there was anything that you wouldn't include or wouldn't print. Interesting question. Um, so I just started off because I'm technologically illiterate. <laughs> I just told all my friends about it incessantly and asked for submissions that way. So I kind of now have a, a mailing list of about 100 people who are kind of friends and friends of friends who've expressed interest at some point of time. That's where my main contributors come from. But I've had some great submissions from, from people I've not met, which is really nice because it feels like it's not just like my friends writing for it. And in terms of what I would and wouldn't print, I think Undina is very open. Um, what we're trying to do is include a great variety of submissions. So it's got poems, drawings, stories, rants, reviews, etc. It's very broad, which is why I've given it quite a specific theme. The only thing pretty much that I... One of the only things I haven't printed is... Um, there's this one guy who started off sending me kind of quite amusing poems, but, but they became... They became seedier, although, to be fair, the issue was lust. So it was a fine line between deciding what was actually lust-related and what was what was dodgy. But, um, I think he was a kind of optimist, maybe. <laughs> and he, saw, he saw the opportunity and then thought, I'll start Ram off relevant and then I'll just kind of go with it. It did kind of develop into, like, rambling streams of consciousness about his lust. Um, Are you still in touch? <laughs> Got his number. Um, yeah, yeah, at which point I took him off the mailing list. But apart from that, it's all, it's all been quite positive, yeah. I'd like to clarify that it wasn't meant to be, I read your zine, is there anything you wouldn't include? It was just a general... No, no, no. Seriously. Um, as well as being an interest that came quite naturally, this is also something linked to the experience you've had working in the industry. It's This isn't your kind of first foray into journalism. I suppose not, yeah. So, I mean, I'm doing a kind of trainee journalism course, big shout out to Lambeth College um, <laughs> at the moment. But yeah, I've kind of been trying to get into journalism for a few years now. And actually, just directly before, before this course started, I was working for a fairly well-known women's magazine, which I kind of got by accident and I was excited to do because it was a great great experience CV etc but it did really put my hackles up about my already kind of uncomfortable feeling about women's magazines and I actually I was I think I was triggered doing that to bring out the, the first scene on that topic we've all kind of thought back in 
into our teenage years especially and when we were first exposed to what is marketed as being women's magazines and one thing that I think we've all kind of picked out is that often these magazines they say they're women's magazines and they're for adult women and they often have quite sexually like explicit, explicit and yeah explicit and graphic content but actually teenagers it's a very aspirational thing for teenagers to read them and you get exposed to them at a really young age so with that in mind I think Emma you've brought along some <laughs> classic examples of terrible advice or maybe you might think it's good advice but we think it's you know dubious to say the least um, advice from women's magazines Cosmo's most ridiculous sex tips <laughs> okay I've got a couple here um, okay before you say them can I say the one about the donut I'm glad you're saying it yes please do Lily <laughs> so this is a tip so it's putting a donut on someone's penis obviously a man or anyone who has a penis <laughs> and then eating the donut it's the most convoluted jam donut <laughs> I, I imagine any sort <laughs> of donut. It could be a donut with a hole. Yeah, I know. It was a mistake it to say jam donuts. Sounds like on. something that you do in a club at uni for a dare. What? Like, it's just I've like... I've never done that. Well, right. not like you it personally. sounds like you're confessing something. No. Horrific. Not like any of us personally, but it sounds like the thing that you hear about someone doing like on campus. Oh my God, did the you hear about... The donut episode. Like, that is not something that you just do at home. Like you get sugar all over the bed. <laughs> What's so this? messy. <laughs> That's the main problem with this. I, I just don't... Who is going to get pleasure from the, the donut on Everyone. the Everyone. You're fine. hungry. Two, two birds, one stone. That's what I'm hearing. But you're hungry, but you're eating the donut, so you're not actually touching the penis at all. But well, after. We'll see. I mean, the potential for disaster is quite high. I mean, come Especially on. Especially if it's a jam donut. If you're not paying attention and you're really, really hungry. <laughs> right, can I just say... <laughs> Got my sex tips, but also something that I remember in my first foray into, I would say, girls' magazines really. Ms. Yeah, flow cringe chart. section. Cringe also. Yeah. How embarrassment, yes. And also flowchart quizzes. Love a flowchart quiz. Yeah, I there are enough chart. of those in daily yeah. life. If I yeah. could just. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, like which season are you? It's wonderful. Okay, <laughs> we did. I did. We do that together. I remember the which season. I just are love you? it. Or like, which Teletubby should be your best friend? Like, it's all excellent. Okay, here are three sex tips. These are all about breasts. They're all breast related. I chose from that section. <laughs> Dip your breasts in edible body paint and use them to sponge paint his entire body. Then look it off. How like dexterous do your boobs have to be to do that? <laughs> I think they confuse boobs and hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's time. I feel really embarrassed. It's time to introduce your. This is literally word for word. It's time to introduce your breast to your favorite vibrator. How rude! How rude of your vag to have hogged it all these years. Oh. Okay. And the final one. Draw an attention-grabbing circle around your nipples using rhinestones and glue. Sorry, using rhinestones and glue for a special night in. <laughs> Those are genuine Cosmo sex tips. I like that you oh, have to attention grab your nipple. As if, like, being a mark in the centre of your boob wasn't attention grabbing enough. It is true. It's like a little bullseye. Yes. I mean, we're laughing about these because they are blatantly hilarious. But I think kind of the more um, subtle things that are featured in uh, magazines like Cosmo, which talk about relationships and sex and things, can be, I feel, quite damaging, especially for a younger person to read, because there is so much emphasis on sex. You were talking about you being in touch with some friends in the last couple of days, asking them about their experiences with the mainstream female marketed media. I was quite interested, actually, to find that um, I expected all the feedback to be fairly negative, 
about the advice that women's magazines give you. And some of my friends actually said that particularly the kind of agony aunt advice bits were quite useful because they're the kind of things that maybe you're too embarrassed to ask yourself, like, you know, why is one boob bigger than the other? Kind mm-hmm. of standard adolescent uh, female concerns, um, which which you might not want to talk to with your with your mother or your friends or whatever. So in that sense, it's quite useful. But on the other hand, uh, a lot of friends, I think, have stated how uncomfortable they felt really with how sex and relationships were portrayed when they were younger. A lot of emphasis on giving the man the man pleasure mm. um, and not so much the girl. And, and also the kind of discrepancy between reading a magazine when you're like 13 and, I don't know, reading these tips like 17 ways to make your man go wild and you don't mm. even know, you hardly know what a penis is, let alone like... Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so I think it puts a lot of pressure on young women to kind of maybe perform sexual acts that they're not quite ready to do or comfortable with and present that as the norm, whereas actually it's mm. just kind of one magazine um, describing what they think is the norm, yeah. And also very aimed at like orgasm as an end goal and like that's probably quite horrible for some people who can't do it like, who can't achieve an orgasm that easily during sex, like, to be like, amazing ways to make you calm, and it's like, well, what if I don't? Yeah, a few friends kind of concurred with that. Um, and another thing that really came out when asking friends was the heteronormativity of um, of women's magazines in general. So there's almost nothing, almost no references at all to homosexuality or bisexuality, which obviously means that anyone who's not 100% straight and almost everyone isn't 100% straight has no kind of concept of homosexuality being at all normal, which of course it is. So that's obviously um, something that's that's come up for a lot of people. And I think it's very odd that you'd have magazines which are just for gay people, just for straight people, and no kind of understanding that both are normal. Yeah, Yeah, completely. So picking up on the point about kind of information about sex and people being exposed to that at quite a young age, I would tend to disagree and say, actually, this is quite an important part of kind of empowering young people to talk about things that in the past have been very taboo. So mm. in that sense, I think that a lot of these magazines fulfilled a role at a per- in a period where there wasn't easy access to information. So I don't think... I probably wouldn't criticise them on that. The, the thing that I would take issue with is the the attempt to kind of make very normal things abnormal, like, you know, in the in, how embarrassment, something like, my boyfriend got a pube in his mouth when he was yeah. giving me cunnilingus, something like that, which is yeah. totally the kind of that crap you can imagine. You can imagine being in some <laughs> yeah, types yeah. of magazines. You just think that's, when you know something about sex, you realise that that kind of trivial occurrence is not a big deal. Yeah. But if you're reading about it and sex is being portrayed in a very sanitised way, that could be quite, I don't know, yeah. debilitating in the future when you think, oh, well, I links- can't have any hair mm. or I can't have it, you know, I must have a perfect body, I must Completely. have perfect mm. It links to that kind of pornification mm. of culture and also, you know, like advertising revenue. They're obviously going to be promoting certain products. Like, you know, they might have a sponsorship feature for Imac or um, yeah. whatever it's called now and like Gillette razors and things like that. Cosmo actually in the 70s was seen as being a, a really kind of like feminist and liberated because it was so unusual to have a magazine write mm. about sex, but they've not mm. moved. Cosmo is something which, you know, at the time was, but it's not carried on with that. So mm. it's stuck in this idea of we, if we're just, you know, we talk about sex loads, that means that we are feminist, but actually today, we see something different about that. And I think it's because it's so mainstream mm. that younger people read it. It's not mm. just 35-year-old women who maybe have that experience behind them. Um, mm. 
But, you know, as long as they're experts are good experts, like um, Jacqueline Wilson, actually, the children's writer, who is an um, amazing person, she used to write for Jackie magazine. You know, that was a teen magazine which was really well known for, you know, giving, like, good advice and responsible advice, and I think a lot of them do. But, you know, having one agony aunt who maybe is like a doctor or something is you know you doesn't can't, mean anything though a lot of the yeah. cosmo doctors are pretty mm. weird and you've got to counterbalance that with the advertising in there as well yeah. i think i think like on the kind of advertising note as well like even in cosmo when they're saying things like you know be proud to be you or whatever bullshit like that then like the last 20 pages are adverts for cosmetic surgery mm. like mm. companies or whatever so it's it's sending very confusing signals I think to people mixed maybe. messages, yeah. 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 So, has anyone actually, um, you know, like been in a magazine or had a brochure well, magazine here? A number of things. When I was about <laughs> thirteen, I wrote into. I lived in France, and I wrote into. I love English, and <laughs> that world famous publication that we we all know and love. Was that like the really cool one that everyone De- read at school? Definitely not that. <laughs> so I wrote in, I was, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get published because it's in English. Um, <laughs> so I, I wrote in and I wrote about my experience in boarding school and it did get published with a photo of my face. And someone oh. at school came up to me who was actually in the studio. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when there were two people from my school who came in? Yeah. Yeah. I remember them well. The one who didn't speak. Emily S. Bolt and yeah. band. Um, and then, yeah. Um, well, she came up to me in the corridor and was like, oh, I saw you in I Love English. Why is everyone reading I Love English? What is this? And I got really embarrassed because it is not a cool magazine. And then uh, real, more recently, I have actually illustrated a z- for a zine called Smell and Salts. And it's the local one for Camberwell for my for this art collective called Araf, which means slow in Welsh. No one is Welsh to do with that. And then I've also like done some translation work for things, but they're not fun. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, you're really big on the zine culture. Yeah, are you going to like zine, zine fairs? I hear well, I went to the thing. zine launch party of Smell and Salts, which was in the Camberwell Arms. Wasn't very exciting, but I was very happy to be there because my turtle was mm-hmm. on the front cover. Mm. Would you like to draw for my zine? I would love to draw for your zine, Thanks. obviously. <laughs> um, so, Phoebe, you said you've been to some zine fairs as well, and I wanted to ask you, because I feel like they are quite... They are quite often quite niche things. So I want to ask you, what is the most niche zine you've ever seen? Ooh. That was quite a high <laughs> sentence to say, actually. That's a really good sentence. That's a really good question. Uh, that always means I don't have a good answer. That's fine. <laughs> I'll, but, I'll give um, you a moment to think, and maybe yeah. I'll say that something you said earlier, which I think kind of hits on what we were talking about, having like media aimed at a single gender which or a single kind of sexuality, which I think is always problematic. Like You were saying as well as a lot of LGBT zines, because that is something that isn't really widely available unless you see things like attitude which is very specific in yeah. what it's going for so that's not necessarily very niche um, but that's the kind of zine that you might get yeah it was quite the first zine fair I went to actually was only um, pretty new to the scene uh, only last December which I don't I can't remember the acronym but it was basically the LGBT zine fair at the Spaceship Studio and it was really amazing it did feel like I'd kind of stumbled on this unknown universe it was just I've never seen so many zines before. It was absolute paradise. Um, And yeah, it was so interesting because a lot of the zines were extremely intensely personal. So like there were transgender zines and zines just made by one or two people about coming out, zines about breakups, and along with all the zines on sale and the distros as the zine distribution stalls are kind of 
called um, Good Lingo <laughs> Distro check um, <laughs> there, were, there were also some like really great workshop there was a very strong sense of community and, and it was interesting because it was like totally unknown to me and I only went because you know I heard about it on the day kind of thing and it was amazing that it that it is such a, a big thing I do think that once you start hearing about them then you get more into it so there was the rich mix zine fair last weekend or a couple of weekends ago and there's one in Kilburn often they're um they're run by by zines themselves so there's a really cool one called OOMK one of my kind which is a kind of feminist publication and they ran a whole zine fair so they were kind of hosting it if you like it's accessible once you're there but it does feel like a very niche community I think we're coming to the end of our show, but before we go, um, Phoebe, you can find on Twitter. At Undina underscore Zine. Yeah, and um, obviously it'd be fabulous for you to get involved and you may want to contribute as well. So I think this is um, the end of this evening's show. This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.